you will, in the way of introduction, turn with me to Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And let's read together verses 1 through 8 of Luke chapter 18. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge who, who, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. We look at this text, which I know we have discussed this different times for different reasons. But in Luke chapter 18, it's interesting what stands out to me is the phrase when Christ says, Here what the unjust judge saith, or says. That is, notice what the judge, who he points out is unjust, who doesn't fear God, doesn't regard man, which means he doesn't care about anybody. And then the only reason we find in the text that he actually helps this poor woman is because he's tired of her coming up to him. And the Lord says, hear what this unjust judge just said. And he compares it with what the Lord will do. And we find there in the left, we want to notice here in verse 8, in Luke chapter 18. He says here, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find faith on the earth? That question is what's being asked. When Christ returns for the final day, when Christ returns, the Bible tells us that that is going to be the judgment day. That that is when the earth, as Peter tells us, will be uh, destroyed completely, the earth and all the works therein, because all mankind, living and dead, as the Apostle Paul tells us, will rise to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The book of Revelation reveals some of that to us as well as it talks about how we open the books, which we believe to be a reference to the books of the law. We may see the books of the Bible. And they also would open another book, which is called, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life, which is a reference to all those who have their names written there and being able to go to the heavenly home. And he references those who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Who is the Lamb that's being referred to there in Revelation? Jesus. And it's his book. And it's his book of what? Of life. And so it's his book with all the names of all those who are going to have heaven as their home. It's interesting to me to think of sometimes how the books of the law, the books of the Bible sometimes referred to as the books, plural, but the book of life is just one. Maybe it's just me, but I like to think, I think, you know, I shouldn't say I like to think, but I think of it this way, because there's so few people going to heaven, it just takes one book. They write the names of all those who are going there. Right. 
Now there's a big difference between all those who are going there and all those who think they're going there. We all would like to do that. When we think about Luke chapter 18, that's really what Christ is asking here. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You ever bought something at a store? If you ever been overseas, out of the country, you'll find that sometimes you can buy a Nike shirt, but in the back of the tag says Hanes on it because it's not legitimate, right? It's not the real thing. We found it all over the place when we were in uh, the Marshall Islands. It was just something they did, and so you buy something there, you get it home. It could say North Face on it, but the tag may say <laughs> South Face or whatever it was. It wasn't the real thing, right? When Christ asked the question in verse 18, in verse 8, rather, of chapter 18, he's asking, will I find the real thing, that authentic, true faith? We think about this search for faith. We want to be, look at this question, this, this pose here in just a moment in Psalm 13. We're going to turn there. We'll be looking at just several different books this morning, not a lot. They won't be on the screen. The references will be. But if you'll turn to Psalm 13, and let's notice in Psalm 13, let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 13. And here what the Bible says, Psalm 13, 1 through 4, says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, like my, like my eyes, lest I sleep by the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, enemy say, I have rebelled against him, and, and those that trouble me, I rejoice when I, am, when I am moved. Now I think about that phrase, how long? They're asking how long before you're going to react, right? How long before you do take care of these things? Now let's go here to Psalm 80. So Psalm 80, I'll make sure I have it right this time. Psalm 80, let's look at verses 3 through 8 of Psalm 80. It says, Turn to us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us, makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. It says in verse 8, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen, and planted it. We look there, verses 3 through 8, we find, again, that asking how long. You know, sometimes we're not careful when we're praying to God, we can get impatient, can't we? Especially if we're talking about our health, if we're dealing with pain, we can get impatient. We may think, how long before the Lord answers my prayer? You know, I think sometimes, I don't mean this to be in every single case, that's why I say sometimes, that we can learn lessons through pain. We can learn lessons such as patience, trust. You know, how is, how is endurance built in any sport? It takes going through pain and discomfort, doesn't it? It takes going out and seeing how far you can go, and then the next time trying to push even further. And with God, sometimes our patience and our endurance is built the same way. Sometimes it is through pain. Not always physical, but sometimes it is through hardship. You think about a man whose faith grew 
through hardship. There are several examples in the Bible. Think of Moses, the man who was, uh, you know, remember when he first was, was beginning to work uh, with the people of Israel, and the Lord was called him and told him what he was going to do, and he began to make excuses. Remember that? And yet we find Moses later talks more than pretty much anyone else in the Old Testament, right? Aside from maybe David. But we also find later that at one point in his beginning of his work with the Lord, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, Lord, this is how it's going to be. Can we hear it now? Remember that? And he appointed all those men to come out to help him labor with the people. They took multiple people to help Moses do that. And but Moses learned a lot during that time of difficulty, didn't he? You think Joshua ever felt the same way when people wouldn't listen and decided, hey, let's go for battle anyway? And nobody thought to say, hey, we should, we should go to the Lord about it first. Instead, they did it. They just went out. What happened? They got smoked. They came back and learned from their lesson, at least sometimes, right? We think about Job, who endured much hardship physically, didn't he? A man who lost all his family, with the exception of his wife. But later in his life, remember what happens in the book of Job when we get to the close of that, the Bible says about him. He is more blessed at the end than he was in the beginning, right? Do you remember Jonah? I don't know what it's like inside of a great fish prepared by the Lord, but I can't imagine it's anything good. Now, he learned a short lesson, but didn't really stick with him very well, did it? See, because some of us sometimes are like Jonah, we can be hard-headed. We can go through some very difficult times. I mean, belly of a great fish, I don't know how much worse you can give as you're talking about Job or Peter or Paul in the New Testament. When he came out of the fish and what happens, he still denies and refuses to believe that people are going to do what is right there in Jonah. But we, we sometimes have to learn through pain. Think about this next idea. You know, was, was what this question, think about what this question says to God. You know, We've asked that question, how long? What exactly is this question asking? It's really asking and showing forth in sometimes, in some ways, that we have very little faith, don't we? You know, when we hit that microwave, we expect it to be done in whatever time we put it in. And we take it out, and whatever it is we're cooking isn't done, we get a little upset, don't we? We go back and put it in, we gotta wait even more. Things don't happen fast enough for us sometimes, don't they? We don't believe that. Why don't we keep upgrading our devices over and over again? We want to move faster, right? It slows down. We hold a computer in our hands. It moves faster than anything. It came out back in the 70s. We lost computers in the 70s. It wasn't a lot, but it doesn't matter. They took up whole entire rooms, didn't they? Yeah, we have more power in that now than in what we have in our pockets. We doubt, as we have here on the screen, that Christ says, don't worry about your clothes or daily necessities. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You know, I try to make some of these things a little more practical for us because we may not find ourselves in the belly of a great fish, but sometimes we do. Again, we're not careful to bellyache about the everyday things. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. He says, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Look at verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? I mean, don't worry about what? The basic necessities. Necessities and our needs 
are not the same thing as our wants, aren't they? I mean, the, there's a lot of wants out there, right? We may want a bigger home. We may want a nicer vehicle. But are they actually needed every time? No. So we may doubt, but as we're reminded here in Matthew 6, that Christ says not to worry about our clothes or our daily necessities. Let's move up to Matthew chapter 8, looking at verse 26. And when we doubt, Christ says he can handle our storms of life, whether it be physical or spiritual. Matthew 8 and verse 26 says here, And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, ye little faith? And he arose, rebuked the winds, the sea, and there was a great calm. He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Did it get windy here in Oklahoma the last week? That's a silly question. Yes, it was, didn't it? You know, even in our own building here last Sunday, when it got real quiet, you can hear the walls, you hear all the, you know, the metal and all that kind of stuff. I can't imagine what kind of winds he's talking about here in verse 26. The Bible tells us he rebuked them, which means they stopped. So there's plenty of days I wish the wind would just stop. I wish it would calm down and, and not do anything. But we think about how there's much more than many more things in life that are much more scary to us than physical storms. We may worry about our health, we may worry about the spiritual state of, our, of ourselves if we're not careful, or the spiritual state of others. But we have to remember the Bible has the answer to all of those things, doesn't it? You notice there in verse 26, he says, he, he says, why are you fearful, right? Oh, you little faith. Now, I, I doubt that they were afraid because the wind just picked up a little bit. I doubt they were afraid because the rain was just starting to come down and it was irritating. I think that was a very big, very large storm. The Lord said, why are you afraid of something like this? Oh, you little faith, right? Do you remember when Christ uh, is walking on the sea in, in, in the midst of the night and Peter sees him? And ask the Lord to, 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 to allow him to come to him, right? And we, we pointed out, and Paul has done this as well, pointed out many times how sometimes we get hard on Peter for coming out and sinking, but yet he wasn't when he got out of the boat. But what did Peter do that we can learn from, as we pointed out many times before? He looked around and he got scared, right? He took his eyes off of Christ. It's not he did it for us today, is it? And we, we look at the news, we look at the television, we hear the paper, and on and on and on. You want to summarize the news? Something bad, the end. Next day, something bad, the end. Every day, something else, right? The weather, no one knows what the weather's going to do. We're supposed to get rain this week, I don't ever get any of it. So what do we do? We, we worry about stuff that one, people don't understand, and two, things we can't control ourselves. So we would do better to keep our eyes upon Christ Yes, we will be aware of things around us, but we can't allow those things to consume us. You know, we have, many of us here probably have a smartphone to get those pop-up notifications. There's a reason I don't have anything that's news that pops up because 98% of the time is nothing good. It's about this president or that president or that leader or this leader. Somebody who's anywhere near me doesn't affect me. We need to make sure that we don't like anything. You take your eyes up, up, across or away from Christ. When Peter was sick, it's because he worried about the storm while he was with the Savior. We shouldn't worry about the storm when we were with the Savior. 
when we're keeping our eyes upon Christ, we have nothing else to fear. We doubt, but Christ tells us to keep our eyes upon Him, Matthew chapter 14, which is what we just talked about, right? With Peter beating Christ out of the water. <coughs> Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 30 and 31. But we want to notice next that we may doubt that Christ says that he will provide. Going this time to Matthew chapter 16, moving back a little bit to Matthew chapter 16, looking at verses 8 and 9 of Matthew chapter 16. He says, And when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves, the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? You think about that idea there in Matthew 16, 8 and 9. You know, it's not, it's easy to have, be those who are not careful, who have a short-term memory, Right? So you do not remember the few fish, the few bread, and the 5,000 people that we fed, and all the loaves and all the bread they took up afterwards? Leftover, they went from being in short to being having a leftover problem. You know why that was? Because Christ was there with them, providing for them. You know, it's amazing sometimes how when we don't put our faith in Christ, how bad things get when we, when we stop we pray and we get our, our thoughts where they ought to be and our mind where it ought to be and how quickly the clouds will disappear. How quickly things can go away. We may not feel that way, but friends, oftentimes it's because we're not really looking at what is important in life. We cannot fall into the trap and think we need the best of everything or that every day has to be perfect. You know, social media has tricked us in believing that every day is going to be beautiful and sunshine and rainbows. And then we have some of those who are bold enough to show how they are every day and how they don't always look the way they did the day before. They're not always on vacation. They're not always in beautiful places. Because that's not real life, is it? Real life is fighting temptation every day when you wake up. Real life is dealing with your own family, helping them do what is right, helping yourself do what is right, trying to stay on a straight and narrow path complete your daily task every day, and the next day doing it again. Every day isn't very exciting in and of itself, is it? But every day can be without overburden if we keep our eyes and our faith in Christ. Think about this. Why do we doubt or worry? We do so because life is hard and we want to know that Christ is there, don't we? Turn with me to Psalm 69. Let's look at verse 4. Psalm 69. And let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> Psalm 69 verse 4 says, They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head, that they, they that will destroy me because my enemies wrongfully are... are are, are, my enemies wrongfully are mighty, then I, then I restored that which I took not away. We think about this for a second. You know, life is hard sometimes because of no fault of our own, right? You know, sir, he says, I restored that which I did not take away. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong, but I tried to do what I could to take care of that situation, right? 
Life is hard because sometimes people do things and say things that affect us and we have done nothing to, to cause it or deserve it, right? The drunk that comes down the road and slams into you or a loved one, that's not your fault, is it? No. Others, other people's poor decisions bring a lot of heartache sometimes, don't they? You know, we think about, <laughs> think about David and Bathsheba. Do you remember the innocent, the really rousing, the two innocent people who died? The husband and the child, right? The true husband of Bathsheba and the child by David and Bathsheba. Both died. <laughs> and yet, why did that happen? Because of the poor decisions of others. And we know the Bible tells us, as we look there in the Old Testament, David did not get off scot free, hardly, he did not at all. He bore a lot of guilt. I think the Bible is very clear. He bore a lot of guilt, even after his repentance. He bore a lot of guilt for a lot of years. I don't think it's wrong for him to do that. But, but we have to realize that bad things happen, like Bathsheba's husband and the child losing their life, because of the actions of others. Sometimes, uh, because we have faltered, we want to know that Christ is there. We don't want to be worried because we have faltered. Look at Psalm 69. This time let's look at verse 5. It says, O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from, from thee. Thou knowest my foolishness. I like how he terms his, his actions of being just foolish. We might say today, sometimes God do stupid stuff, right? And we do. We say things, we do things, we act in ways, we have thoughts we shouldn't have. And we can sometimes say, sometimes I think stupid stuff. I think I have foolish ways. And he says there in Psalm 69, verse 5, the Lord knows them, right? Look what else he says there in verse 5. He says, and my sins are not hid from thee. Means they are, the Lord is aware of them. Well, how do we take care of sin? Well, if we are a Christian, we take care of it by going to God in prayer, confessing those things, repenting of them, right? We call that many times we refer to the second law of pardon. If we're not a Christian, we take care of by doing what? About making the gospel, putting on Christ in baptism. Why do we worry and doubt? Because sometimes we are scared. Let's back up in Psalm 69. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says here, Save me, O God, for the waters are coming to my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My, my throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. You think about the picture he's painting. He's showing himself, he's using figure language to show that he is in deep distress and he has cried so much that now his throat is dry. He tells us in other places that he drenched his couch with his tears at times, isn't he? Was David having a good day? Not hardly. Where did he go? You look at Psalm 69, all these verses. Well, who is he addressing? He's not looking out, he's not calling upon some friend to come and talk to him, though that's not a bad thing to do if they're a good, faithful friend of the Lord. But he's going to God, isn't he? See, that's the first place he goes to. He goes to God. Look what he says there in verse 3. He says, I am weary of my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail when I wait for my God. 
Look at verse 1. Save me, O God. He's talking to God. We need to have that same attitude. Do we go to God when we are in distress? Friends, we also need to make sure we don't go to God only when we are in distress. But when we be unsure or scared, we can and must rely upon God. We must rely upon God. You know, there are a lot of ways in which life can get very hard and very difficult really, really quickly, can A loved one passed away suddenly. Some friends of ours had a loved one pass away all of a sudden, unexpectedly. Does that cause pain and grief? Most definitely. Someone all of a sudden finding out they have a diagnosis of health that was unexpected out of nowhere happens all the time, doesn't it? See, life can get real, real fast. But we have to make sure we put our trust in God because man, as we point out many times, and we have been along, been alive very long at all, we know that man can move like the sand, can't they? That is, we put any pressure upon them, they kind of just move away, right? God does not move. There's a reason why he's referred to our, as our fortress and as our anchor, right? Look at Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Let's look here at verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 52. By like a green olive tree in the house of God, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on, on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. What is he talking about? Why does he use the idea of a green olive tree? It's the idea of being healthy, isn't it? He's waiting on God. He says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here with God. He says he's going to do it where before the saints, right? Which means before everybody, they're going to see that he has put his trust in God and that he is not moving. Why? Because he knows that God is the one true source of hope, of answers, and comfort, and fulfillment. Let's go back to Luke chapter, or Florida, it's Luke chapter 18. And we'll look at what Christ reveals to us through his parable. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, right? You know, the judge was pestered by the woman, but he answered her because of her persistence. You know, with God, we never pester him with our prayers, but he does want us to be persistent, doesn't he? Paul tells us there in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, right? Do you ever, you ever, think about this for a moment, you ever found the time where you think, I can't think of anything else to pray for? I can't think of a time. Because we think we've run out of something. Just leave your home, walk around the block, you'll find something else to pray for, quite literally. You'll see children, you need prayers. You'll see parents, you need prayers. You'll see and hear situations over here that you wish you didn't over here. You'll go home and you'll pray for those individuals. There's plenty of things to pray about. Now think about when Paul tells us to pray about ceasing. It's not the idea that we pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but we're praying all the time. I think it's a very bad idea to think that we, should, that we view prayer as a hindrance, or we think we have to drop to our knees physically to pray to God. That's not true either. 
you choose to do so, that's just fine. But how many times have you prayed in your vehicle going down the road for various reasons? You see a car accident, you say a prayer for those individuals. Someone speeds by you on a motorcycle, I pray for them. There's not much we can do in the road. We pray for others who come to our mind, we pray for ourselves. So we don't have to bow down on our knees every time we pray. I think sometimes people think that they view it as a burden, but that's not the case. We should treat uh, prayer very seriously, very carefully, but we should be those who pray all the time. Pray all the time. We think about Luke chapter 18. We know there that the Bible tells us that she wanted vengeance because her adversary. You look there at Luke chapter 18. I can see it sometimes, not very well. Verse 3 says, uh, saying, Avenge me and mine adversary. And he would not for a while, after he said within himself, uh, Fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And what's the first thing the Lord says next in verse 6? Hear what the unjust judge saith. We would say today, hear what he just said. Not because he fears God, or fears anything about anybody else, but because she's annoying, I want her to go away, I'm going to give her whatever it is she wants. You know, God doesn't view us as annoying. He may view our actions, repeated actions sometimes, as disappointing, I think that's fair to say. But our prayers to Him, no. It was an inspired man of God who told us to pray without ceasing, wasn't it? It was Christ Himself who tells us, who gives us the example of the model of prayer, right? How to pray, right? You always have to pray, not lose heart, as Paul tells us as well. The Lord will answer our prayers, but, we, but do we have enough faith and patience to wait on Him? You look at Luke chapter 18, and let's look now at the latter part of Luke chapter 18, the latter part of this verse in verse 8. We ask the question, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he really find faith on the earth? Shall he really find faith on the earth? You know, in many ways, it's sad that Christ has to say that, doesn't it? Because you think about for a moment all the things that Christ has seen already while he's been on the earth. His own disciples doubted at times, right? After the resurrection even they doubted. Yet those individuals of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jews who Christ could heal a man right in front of them. And they still despise him in their fiber of their being. Let's look at why he says we really find faith on the earth. Let's go back to Psalm 13. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 13. He says, By trust in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. I will sing unto the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. You think about that for a moment. How much stuff did David go through in his life? A lot, right? I mean, some of it was self-inflicted because he wasn't always a, the smartest guy in the world, but he was still a man, no doubt he would correct things when he made mistakes. Sometimes it took well, someone else to go to him and point it out, but he did, right? You know, the same man who took down Goliath, of course, with the Lord, right? The same man who conquered many enemies of the Lord, he was sent out to conquer. The same man, yes, committed great sin Bathsheba that was well known to all. But through it all, because of his repentance, because of his continual desire that was right inside of God, he 
correcting his mistakes when he made them. The Bible still refers to him as a man after God's own heart, doesn't it? And it's interesting there in Psalm 13, in the last part of that verse, he says, in verse 6, he says that he has dealt bountifully with me, right? Bountifully with me. Do we feel that way today when we think about the Lord? Do we feel like he has dealt bountifully with us? On your worst day, when you're feeling the worst you can think of recently, do you feel like the Lord has dealt bountifully with you? You know, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, Lisa's had some surgeries this year and last year, and I was in the hospital for a little bit. And it's hard sometimes to let the Lord is dealing bountifully with you when you're sitting in the hospital bed wanting to go home, not able to sleep, not comfortable, all these things going on. Don't we feel for us sometimes we're there getting medical help from somebody today who could not possibly get? That we're there in a place where people are actually looking out for us. We may not feel that way at that time. We may not feel it's the best at times even. But friends, things could always get much worse, couldn't they? We need to make sure we have a proper perspective about things that go on in our own lives when we, when we go through these things. We want to look at some questions here. Will the Lord find a real faith in you? We will, we will rejoice when the Lord repays those who are contrary to His people as those who have come against us, those who have fought against us, those who have been rebellious, those who have said things about us that are untrue, those who just said hateful things and don't hear anything about it. Lord will deal with him as well. We must rejoice as he cares for us each and every day. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. If you don't know this verse very well, I encourage you to highlight it. If we find in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, the Lord tells, the Bible tells us here, the Lord has given to us all things. Uh, me, he, he cares for you. Cast out your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. He cares for you, right? Think about that for a moment. He cares for you. You know why Peter said that? Because Christ said it back in Matthew, didn't he? Come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Such a yoke upon me, right? Cast all those things upon him. We are asked over and over again to bring all our hard things to God, right? You know, it's interesting in life. You think about the different doctors you encounter over the over years. You have ear, nose, and throat. You have those who deal with the lungs, those who deal with the eyes, those who deal with your feet, those who deal with your skin, those who deal with your heart. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on, right? Why is God, sometimes we attribute this to Christ, referred to as the great physician? Because he heals them all. When you look at the miracles of Christ, when you saw a blind man, he didn't say, oh, you get away from Peter, he does those. When you saw a man lame on his feet, he didn't say, get away from Paul, he does those. He healed them all. He fed them all. And he raised some from the dead. He was a, and is, a physician of physicians, isn't he? You think about that phrase we say so many times, the great physician now is near, Right? And he is, because the Lord doesn't deal just with physical ailments. The Lord deals with spiritual ones, doesn't he? You think about 1 Peter 5, verse 7, when he tells us to cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Sure, he, he can be referencing physical things, but is that all he's talking about? No. 
He's saying bring your sins, bring those things you did to the deepest and darkest and ugliest things you've ever done, and through obedience to the gospel, bring them to Christ. Because the purpose of this blood being shed on the cross is to wipe all those things away. We talked about Saul on the road to Damascus, a man who literally was killing people who were, who were saying they were following after Christ. Until, until his conversion, he was having people stoned, having people put into prison. Men, women, and children. Remember that? But what changed when he was when he obeyed the gospel. And all those things he had done, he had been forgiven of once he obeyed the gospel, which included him being baptized. You know, after he did that, what did he become? One of the most well-known men of the New Testament, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. So if we think we have done so much corrupt, so much evil things, we can possibly forgive friends. We need to wake up and realize that's not the case at all. When Peter tells us to cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you, that's exactly what he means. Bring it all. You know, Peter was no stranger to sin, was he? No. He's the same one. He stood, he stood Christ to his face and saying, I won't, let, I won't let them come and take me away, right? He's the same one he had rebuked by Paul because he, Peter himself at times was guilty of committing sin, right? But we must realize that we must put all of our faith and trust and hope in Christ. As we close this morning, we ask the question, what about you? Do you wait on the Lord? Do you trust in Him? It's easy to say we are a faithful Christian and everything is going well. When our health is good, there's money in the bank, and our vehicles are running, everything is going well. The rain is not coming down, the wind's not blowing like crazy. We think, I'm just fine. You know, God cannot be just simply a panic button God, can he? Right. We have to be, he has to be one who's there for us, and we allow to be there for us on the good days, not the bad. You know, think about it for a second. If he's there for us on the bad days, doesn't he deserve to be there for us on the good days? Because the reason we have those good days, if we're honest, about tells us, is because of God. Amen. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, right? James tells us that. Do you trust in Him? And lastly, will He find that you really do have faith in Him? When it all comes down to it, what will the Lord say when He sees you in the judgment day? That's what matters. So it doesn't matter what others say about you, good or bad. All that matters is what happens Christ looks at us in the judgment day. Will you be prepared? The Bible tells us how to be prepared, doesn't it? We hear the word of God, and what based on what we have heard, it moves us to believe in Christ as the Son of God. Because we, we, we have heard it, because we believe it, we're willing to repent of our sins, confess Christ, and be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, verse 38. At the same time we do that, we are added to the body of Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27. As we were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The Bible also tells us when we were, when we were added to the body of Christ, we are added to the church. His church, Matthew 16, 18. And then we are told to remain faithful to death. doesn't mean we'll be perfect. But when we sin, we can't repent of it. 
when we do those things, we will be blameless in the sight of God. If we are a Christian, we know that we too sometimes can make mistakes, and we can make it right again. 1 John 1 tells us, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, He cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 